And that was the fourth of six <laughs> of those. <laughs> That's amazing. So we went to plan B. Excellent. What are, what are biggest surprise? Biggest surprises, any? Well, there were plenty of surprises. I think uh, the one um, thing that surprised me was the people that God put around us. Not, I wasn't surprised that he put them around us, but he put such a unique combination of people that I would have never guessed. Um, Indians, uh, Americans, other foreigners, other um, mission groups that came and um, helped us adjust, but also just really poured into those kids and loved on those kids. So um, I was pleasantly surprised by all the people that came together uh, to help glorify God and to provide for those orphan kids. Great. What are your What are your future plans now? What give us your like? You're here, we're and then you're going. Yeah, we're heading, we're heading back to India uh, this week. We're heading back to India this week, and uh, we'll be uh, looking at returning here to the United States. We we had committed to a year. Uh, we had hoped to stay more like a year and six months, but we're we're really caught up on these projects, yep. and uh, we have some things here. Uh, our support has been great, um, but the economy's you know uh, impacted some. Uh, things here that we need to address here. Uh, yeah. We are looking for staff in India. Uh, Lisa and I will be traveling to India probably a half dozen times in 2010. We've got, uh, as a mission trip, wishes to go. Lisa and I will go and uh, make the arrangements, the bus, have the curry ready for you when you arrive. You Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing. So the real question is, which of you are going to take their place? That's the question. So if God speaks to you during this service, just raise your hand and I'll know it's you and we'll send you over to India. All right. This morning we're continuing our series, Conversations with a Happy Heathen. Last week we ended with these thoughts from Anne-Marie. That's awesome news about the home in Nigeria. Congratulations. Regarding how the funds came about, I think you and I will have to agree to disagree. Your worldview tells you it's divine intervention. Mine says we should not confuse coincidence for fate. Good things happen all the time, as do bad. We subscribe meaning to them as we see fit. So the question we have this morning is, is everything that goes on in our lives pure luck? Or does God have his hands in our everyday lives? Is God intervening in our everyday lives? Is he involving help direct us Every single day. Not like puppets, but is God interacting with us every single day? First, let me say that, um, that what, what I'm, whatever I share with you this morning, however um, challenging or compelling my stories, it really comes down to faith. I'll, I'll, let's be honest. Whatever, whatever I share with you, the stories I'm going to share with you, no matter how compelling those stories are, it does come down to faith. But let's remember our definition of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 1, it says this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. With that in mind, let me share this first story. Because Anne-Marie and I have gone back over the last six or eight months, back and forth at different times on this subject. Is it coincidence? She calls it coincidence and luck. Everything is, is basically luck or coincidence. And I would say that God has... His, his divine hand in our lives interacting with us. So my first story comes from when I was 19 years old. I was 19 years old. I had just become a Christian, uh, and, uh, and I, I got to give you a little backdrop. For most of my life before, um, before that, every summer at around the same time, I would get what they call cluster headaches. 
Um, these headaches, if you ever had migraine, anybody have migraine headaches or anything? If you've had migraine headaches, cluster headaches are just kind of like a step beyond that. My eyes would swell shut. I would throw up. It was agony. And they would come at about the same time every summer. And I could actually watch the clock. And as it hit maybe 10 o'clock, you could feel it coming on. So it was a kind of weird type of headache. But you could, once it started, you can time it every day. And here it would come. And it was agony. I remember sticking my head in my pillow and just screaming with agony, wondering how am I going to get rid of this. What I would do is I'd go to the doctor every year and I'd get this medicine. And if I took the medicine and I went to sleep, the only way to get rid of this was to take the medicine, go in a dark place and go to sleep and try to subdue it and then kind of go on with your day. Well, that's the backdrop. When I was 19 years old, I had just become a Christian the year before, and I decided that instead of going to the doctor and getting this medicine, that you know, I was growing in my faith, and I believed that God could heal me, so I decided not to go to the doctor. It was probably, usually went in April or May, getting ready for it. I wouldn't go to the doctor. I wouldn't get the medicine. I would see if God was going to heal me. I had faith that God would heal me. Well, May rolled around, nothing. June rolled around, nothing. July, summer went by, nothing. Didn't get a headache. And I never got a headache after that for the rest of my life. Those were gone. I had faith that God would heal me, and he did. And I have never had another cluster headache the rest of my life. That was 30 some, you know, 25, 30 years ago. I mean, to have as a younger believer in the faith, to ask God to specifically do something, and it really was faith not to go and get prepared for this because it was excruciating. But one of the things that I've seen as a Christian in my Christian walk is that God, God intervenes in miraculous ways when you're younger in your faith. Now, he does it when you're older in your faith, too. I could tell you stories of the last month that would curl your hair. But, but when you're younger in your faith, God seems to respond in miraculous ways to build our faith as we're growing in him. Um, I, I think part of it is letting us know that he's there in some, in some supernatural way. God lets us know he's there because as we get older in our faith, and I think many of you who are older in your faith realize this, God doesn't always come running to your rescue uh, the same way. And it's during those times where sometimes you feel alone. I mean, you feel alone. I mean, just let's be honest. You feel like, God, where are you? It's during those times where he doesn't just intervene like he did sometimes when you were younger that you have to rely on, on your confidence in God. You have to rely on your faith in God because all throughout your life, he shows you at different points, I am here, I'm here. But he doesn't always come the same way. So as we grow in our faith, um, we need to rely or recall the miracles of the past. This is what I wrote back to Anne. Anne, I've seen God move in powerful ways in our ministry through the years, intervening with people and resources countless times. Things have happened that make it very difficult for me to believe that this is all just coincidence. I believe your successes and life experiences reflect the idea of one of my favorite authors, Johann von Goethe, who wrote, Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. That the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events, issues from the decision rising in one's favor. All manner of unforeseen incidents, meetings, and material assistance, which no man could have dreamed would have come his way. Whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Begin it now. 
And if you don't believe in God, I can understand the need to call all things that happen in our lives coincidence and give total credit to man for the outcome, which I'm not sure was Van Gogh's intention. I see God as real and I see him as active and see events in life as part of God's ultimate plan. Let me share another story, which I'll call an unexpected blessing. I'm going to read this because it's a longer story. And uh, if I get off, I can get excited and get off and take a lot of time here. Um, but I remember when I was, a, I was a youth pastor in Marblehead, I was called to be a youth pastor in Marblehead. And I took the job as a youth pastor in a small church. They didn't have many kids, and so they told me to reach out to the community and build the group over time. Well, to make a long story short or semi-short, uh, I asked the students in the community what they wanted most. I always saw them skating home from school, and so I had an idea what they wanted, and I was, I was right. They all wanted a skateboard park. Well, I had absolutely no idea how to build a skateboard park, but I felt God was calling me out to do this. I went to the town to see if they'd give us a piece, a piece of property in one of the parks, and to my surprise, they did. And just stopping here for a moment, um, the chances of you going to the parks department and asking for a piece of, of land to build a skateboard park with all the issues that go on, all the... I walked into that meeting, and they basically said yes right away and didn't even ask about the insurance coverage and all the things that would go with the skateboard park. That alone was miraculous in my mind. It was, it was a broken-down basketball court in the worst part of the park, but it was ours. I rallied the troops for a few weeks. We were cleaning up glass and pulling weeds. When we got everything cleaned up, I started talking with people in our community about helping build some of the, par the ramps for the park. One of the student's brother was a, was a was a, lived in California and designed skateboard parks. He happened to be in town, so we met, and I asked him if he would design something for us. Now, keep in mind, I had no money. I talked with a contractor about helping a few days before, and he told me that what he would need was, was some plans. He said, I would need some plans if I'm going to help you. Two days later, those two worlds collided. The skate park designer showed up with the plans, and when I opened them, I almost laughed out loud. He designed a horseshoe that was, 60, that was six feet tall, it was 60 feet long, and it was 40 feet wide. Please recall that I had no money. I was about to explain that to him, that my situation to him, when the contractor showed up and saw the plans. Thanking me, he took them and drove off before I could explain I had no money. I wasn't worried because once he saw the plans, he would call me and say, this is way too big for him to take on. The next day, I went up to the park, and to my horror, I, had, I saw a dump truck on the blacktop dumping tons of dirt and rocks. He also had another piece of equipment shaping it into a pi this pile into a horseshoe. I refer, you back to the I refer you back to the fact that I had no money. And now I would soon be the laughingstock of the town and probably lose my job. How was I going to get enough gravel and blacktop to cover this giant horseshoe ramp? I have to explain this to you. You have to be in my position. I'm 20-something years old. All I want to do is build a skateboard park for these kids. This guy gives me a design that's outrageous, okay? The, the contractor takes the design. He takes it home. I never, I didn't get a chance to talk to him because he drove off, but I never, never in my wildest dreams would have imagined that he would respond to this 
incredible design that this guy in California and that was in town came up with. So you have to picture me walking up this hill to where we're building the skateboard park the next day and seeing a dump truck dumping giant boulders and dirt on our blacktop, okay, basically in my mind ruining it. And all I'm thinking is, how am I going to get this dirt and stuff off the blacktop, all right? I don't have any money to cover this gigantic horseshoe with anything. So panic, um, panic was one of the things that were, uh, was overtaking me. Um, my only hope, I thought to myself, was to walk, it was to talk with Lynn Sand and Stone, the largest stone and gravel company on the North Shore. The problem was, I didn't know anyone who worked there. As I walked home, I began to ask, whose idea was this anyway? I really was. All I wanted to do was build a little ramp for the kids, on, uh, you know, to skate on. I said to God, you're the one who wanted me to do this in the first place. Now what am I going to do? Before I went into the house to tell my wife to pack... I went to them. <laughs> I really was. I was like, I'm, imagine, I mean, what a, they're going to go, what idiot, you know what I mean, in the town of Marblehead. They didn't like Christians in the first place, so what idiot piled all this on top of our, uh, our blacktop? Before I went into the house to tell Debbie to pack, I went to the mailbox. I opened the door, and there was a letter in there, one letter from Lynn Sand and Stone. It was the right address, but the wrong zip code. I opened the letter, and it said, Dear John, thank you for your business. I hope you will enjoy these box seats to the Red Sox game. The next day, I took the tickets back to the company and explained what happened about the you know, mix-up with the zip code. I returned the tickets without asking for the gravel or blacktop because I didn't want to look like I was you know, blackmailing them or something. The woman took my name and thanked me, and I left. The next day, I went back and talked to a different person about my situation. He was nearly ignoring me until his secretary, the woman I talked to the day before, this was a huge company, okay, so you have to see these situations lining up. This is the woman I just happened to give the tickets back to, all right? And this happened to be the secretary. Uh, and uh, the woman that I talked to before told him I was the person who returned the tickets. He was the guy who sent the tickets out, and he was going to really be up a creek if I didn't bring them back. This was a huge client that he was thanking. And this client didn't get thanked, he told me later. He would be in big trouble with the company. His attitude toward me changed immediately. What can I do for you? What were you saying about blacktop and gravel? I explained to him what was going on, and he sent me to another building downtown. I walked into one of the largest offices at that time I'd ever seen in my entire life. You ever have one of those dreams where you just, the person's like way at the end, no matter how close you start walking, it seems he's still far away. This, was, this guy had this giant desk, huge office. Here I was walking up to him, this young youth pastor, and uh, it was just incredible. It ended up being the president of the company. He asked me how much I needed. And I said, I think I said something brilliant like, oh, a whole bunch. You know what I mean? I don't, what the heck do I know about gravel? I'm, you know, 60 feet, you know, 60 feet long, 40 feet wide. I'm like, dude, a whole bunch. He said, show me the plans. He told me to go back to the office and, and he would see what he can do. Well, I got back and they told me that he said, give him whatever he needs. The next day, I had enough gravel and blacktop to cover the entire horseshoe. The contractor did all the work for free, as did everyone else. It was like God said to me, sit down before you hurt yourself. I'm going to show you what a skateboard park really looks like. I mean, it really was. I mean, you know what I mean? You know, oh, I'm going to build a skateboard park. And God's like, please, please, can you just sit down? Let, let. I know what a skateboard park is supposed to look like. So God did this incredible skateboard park. God knew that I needed that event to show me 
that I can do, God can do, immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. You know, you all know me now for who I am right now, like my personality and my, my faith, and, you know, I'm 47 years old. But go back 20 years. Before, before God, you know, you know, I had faith, but when something like this happened, it was the first time that, that I was in a situation where, where God did something like this, where I stood back and go, I said to myself, wow, wait a second. I mean, God says I can do immeasurably more. I was thinking of a little ramp, you know what I mean, a little grinding thing. Don't kill me, guys who are skaters. But whatever, you know, I see you guys doing. I'd never even imagined what we had built. I was online um, last year, or maybe six months ago, and that skate park was still there, okay, uh, all these years later. God did something absolutely amazing, and I never forgot it. I wrote Anne this story, and I said, Anne, if you think that's coincidence, you have more faith in coincidence than most people have in God, and I'm the luckiest person on the planet. God knew I needed that event and that time of my spiritual journey, just like he knew I needed you to give me those smile faces. You said you're not an atheist. My question is, why couldn't those events be the work of God? Why is the only option coincidence? That's a great story. Very, very cool. And yes, you guessed it. I call it luck, and the generosity of some really nice people, including you. Are you the luckiest person on the planet? Probably not. Are you the most persistent? Maybe. If you mean to share the story as some sort of anecdotal proof of God, sorry, fish ain't biting. If you told me that, as sure as the sun rises, every time someone was in need, the same such string of events would ensue, then I'd consider it. Tough crowd, but we're talking God here. Obviously, millions, billions of desperate prayers for skate parks, rocks, life, and yes, even Red Sox tickets go unanswered every day. I know, it's God's plan, right? He chooses what's best, best to answer based on his plan. But why such a convoluted series of events and people? Why not just make a park available? God sure is a micromanager. There is proof and there is faith. And if you can believe that everything was created from nothing, why is it so impossible to believe that God intervenes in our lives? Just the fact that we exist is mathematically impossible. Yet here we are. So why is it so hard to believe in divine intervention? You say nice people do nice things all the time, but the story wasn't about people, the people involved. It was about the circumstances. That's important. That's important. You know, nice people do nice things all the time. That, that whole scenario there wasn't about nice people doing nice things. It was about the circumstances. The moment I needed the gravel and blacktop, the tickets were in the mailbox. I'm walking home with my head hanging down thinking I'm about to be fired and the biggest laughing stock in the world. I'm thinking to myself, the only, my only out is somehow to go to Lynn Sand and Stone and, and, and talk to them some way about donating all this blacktop and all this gravel, okay? That was my only chance. I go to the mailbox that day, that moment, and the only letter in the mailbox is a, is a letter from Lynn Sand and Stone, and the only reason I received it, it was because they had the wrong zip code on there. Absolutely, it was absolutely amazing. I didn't go up and ask nice people, and it all worked out. As a matter of fact, I wasn't even praying for it. I was complaining about it. I mean, I, that, that is the truth. 
I wasn't, I wasn't praying, oh God, if you could just put a letter in the mailbox and be it from Lynn, Sand, and Stone, and if you could, if you, I, and it was one of those things, that, I mean, I couldn't even imagine my, what my prayer would be, you know. I have a great prayer, and you guys can use it, okay? I'm, I'm, this is really deep. It's really, so, you know, get, write this down, okay? This is real powerful. When I get in this kind of trouble, I say, God, do something. <laughs> do something. It works. It works for me. I don't use it all the time because it's powerful, okay? But I really, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things you can't pull out every single day. But when I, when I ask it, God responds. This was not one of those times I didn't really know my do something prayer yet. It came in another time and miraculous things happened after that. So I kept that on my little, ooh, do something. That's a good prayer. I didn't persuade them. I really didn't. This was a sequence of events, okay? You know, people will say, well, my goodness, you're, you're so persuasive, and you, you use your gifts of this and that and the other thing. I didn't persuade anyone. This wasn't Jeff's, I didn't go to this, I didn't, the story's not that I went to the, I walked into the president's office, and I threw it down, and I started telling him, and my motivational skills, and he was moved, and he said, yes, I'm going to give you, I walked in there like, you know, geez, they're like Oliver, you know what I mean? <laughs> Put the things down on the table, and Lord, I don't know how much it is, whatever you think. You know, it wasn't my persuasive ability. I was literally, and this is, this is most of my life. I'll just admit it in front of everyone. Most of my life is I'm along for the ride, okay? I'm along for the ride. I have faith that God can do things. I get a vision, and I just believe that God can do them. In this case, I was like, I was, I was so along for the ride, it was scary, okay? I didn't really do much of anything except open an envelope and read it and take it back. I was just along for the ride. To understand God's plan, you need to understand God is what I'm writing to her. You need to understand God. She says, why didn't God just make a skateboard park available? He did. He did in one of the most miraculous ways. And in the process, I grew. And so many other people watching grew. Watching, They also grew as they, as they watched this transpire. You have to understand, this was in the newspapers. I was on television. This was, a, this was like a town-wide event. And everyone who saw it, the people who were writing the articles, the people who, the, the news media people, the guy that I worked with in the YMCA who was alongside, he wasn't a Christian. All these people were watching this all transpire. And they were all jaw-open, dumbfounded how this all came about. We all grew, Christian and non-Christian. It was amazing for everyone to watch. Even people who didn't believe in God were, were, were taken back by the circumstances of how this laid out. Because of that event, my trust, faith, and confidence in God grew. Belief is not easy, and that's the truth. I mean, it'd be, you know, it's so easy. Oh, yeah, it's so easy. It's not sometimes. We go through desperate, difficult times, and belief is not easy. I said to her, there are times when I call out to God, and he doesn't come to my rescue or give me what I, th I think I need. It is in those times that I draw on my faith and confidence. And why don't you give your kids what they want when they want it? Why do you discipline them? Do you intervene in their, in their lives for their benefit? Do you ever let them fail and not intervene? Do you ever make plans and hope that they will follow for their benefit because you know best? Is it so impossible to believe that a God with, a, with an infinite mind has a plan that, that you with your finite mind cannot comprehend? I have faith, yes, but my faith is based on evidence and experience. I don't just make things fit into a nice, neat box. I ask more questions than most people ever consider. The difference is I keep asking. This is important for all of you, okay? This is important. 
Because this is the difference sometimes between someone who continues to walk in the faith and someone who says, ah, I'm not going to deal with it. Ah, this isn't me. I, I said, the difference is I keep asking the question. I keep searching. I keep studying until I have an answer. Or like everyone else on the planet, I realize that some things are beyond my comprehension. There may be things beyond your comprehension, but not everything is beyond your comprehension. People ask me questions all the time thinking they're going to stump me and I'm going to be, oh, just blown away. Or they come up with questions. They think there are no answers to their questions. But you know what? There are answers to your questions. There are. But you've got to keep studying. You've got to keep searching. You've got to keep asking. You've got to keep listening. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things are hidden with the Lord our God. There, there are things that we are not going to understand. The secret things are hidden with the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children. When someone asks you something that just stumps you and you're just like, whoa, I mean, that's, you can say, you know what, I'll get back to you on that. If they ask you a question that's just beyond your comprehension or your ability to answer because no one can answer it, you say, uh, honestly, I take the 29th. You say that. I take the 29th. Deuteronomy 29, 29, and memorize it says, and if you could, write all these down. Hebrews 11, 1, write that down. That's a good scripture. And Deuteronomy 29, 29, it's not, it's not hiding. It's not saying, well, every time someone asks you a question, I take the 29th. I take the 29th. You know, find the answer. If you can't find it, say, you know, the secret things are hidden with the Lord our God. There are certain things that you and I will never understand. But the things revealed, which are more, belong to us and our children. We can understand them. We just need to study. A little quick thing here, a little side note. Anybody ever wondered, you know, about like slavery and what the Bible says about slavery and why is slavery? They talk about slavery in the Bible. Why don't they just condemn it? If you ever wanted to have an answer to that question, then come this Wednesday night at 630 here at the church because we're going to answer that question on slavery. Because those are some questions that people get so frustrated with. You know, there are so many people that ask a question, and they can't figure it out in their minds right away. And so they reject God because they can't answer the question they have in their own minds. I'm sorry, but that's really arrogant to think that you have such an incredible mind that because you can't answer something, God does not exist. Number one, you probably stop searching for the answer. Most people do that. They think it, they don't really search for the answer, and so they reject God because they can't figure it out. Well, why does God, and why is there something, why is this, and why is that? And because they don't take the time to really, really, really go through and answer the question, they reject God. Huge mistake. Huge mistake. Because most of your questions can be answers, and the ones that can't, if you're going to reject something because you can't answer a question or understand something, you're in big trouble. Because I would like to ask you, how did the universe begin? You have nothing, and then all of a sudden there's something, and blah, blah, blah. Well, then, if you're not going to believe, if, if your, your thought process is going to go, well, if I don't understand it, therefore it doesn't exist, or if I don't understand it, therefore I can't believe it, you're in big trouble. You really are. You really are. It comes, like I said in the beginning, it does come down to faith. It does come down to faith on both sides, though, on both sides. Don't let people throw at you. Oh, you only hold on to faith. I have intellect. I have reason. I have... No, 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 no. In the end, it all comes down to faith. I will never have enough answers, I said to her, but I will have enough to be confident in God. You're right. I can't empirically prove God exists, but that's why Jesus said, blessed are those who do not see me and yet still believe. Remember that? Remember Thomas? Blessed are those who do not see me yet still believe. I believe because I've looked at the evidence and I've come to the rational, reasonable, and logical conclusion that God exists. I took no blind leap of faith. I stepped out in faith based on the evidence. 
I have come to realize that most people who struggle with their belief in God do so not because they have studied the evidence and found it wanting, but because if God does exist, they have a responsibility to that God. You'd love to, I mean, people love to intellectualize all this stuff, but you know what? Most people, I'm not, Anne-Marie said, no way, not me. And I, re, I respect that. I'm, I wouldn't say that she's lying at all. That's not my, in my case, she said. But I'll tell you something. In most cases, the reason people reject God is not because they've intellectually studied the evidence and come to the conclusion that God doesn't exist. They've come to the conclusion in their mind that, gee, if God exists, then I have to be obedient to that God then I have a responsibility to that God. This is going to change my life in some way. I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I'm not going to be able to seek out all these other things that I want to do. That's really the answer. I don't want to believe that there's a God because if there's a God, then I'm responsible to that God and I have to change my life accordingly. And my friends, it isn't intellect that keeps people from God. It's attitude and heart most of the time. Let me share a few other thoughts. Would it be realistic for God to say yes to everything people ask for? Well, you know, it, well, you know, I would believe if you could tell me that every time you wanted rocks or, you know, whatever else, these, these events would happen. You know, that's the idea that why doesn't God just say yes, you know, why doesn't God say yes to everything? You ever see that movie Bruce Almighty? Anybody ever seen that movie? You ever remember the part in Bruce Almighty where he's at the computer and everybody's asking, I want to win the lottery and I want my job and I want this, and he just pushes, yes, 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 you know, because he gets the power of God. And what happens? Bedlam. I mean, the whole world's in bedlam because he just, he's just, yeah, 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 everything's yes, okay? That doesn't work. If every time you ask for, what if we both wanted a job? Say five of us wanted the same job. We're all Christians and we pray, oh God, please give me this job. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, there's going to be a problem here. God doesn't work that way. There's more to it than that. I just love that whole, that whole layout where it's like, you know, what would happen, you think about it, if God just said yes to everything, just did everything you wanted him to do. There are biblical principles that help us understand why God responds the way he does. There are biblical principles that lay that out, why, why God responds the way he does when we pray. In James chapter 4 and verse 3, it says this, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Sometimes you ask and you have the wrong motives. You know, as, as parents, I think we can understand this. You know, our children ask us for things, but we know they have the wrong motives. We know they have the wrong, the wrong mindset. We know that they may get into trouble if they go down that road, whatever the case may be. And so we say no or we say wait. But this Bible, the Bible says in James 4, 3, you, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. We also need to trust that God knows what's best for us. That, that a lot of people do not like, okay? In talking to Anne-Marie and others, that's something people do not like, that they're just going to that the answer is, you know what? God knows what's best for us. And it's difficult, and you know, it's so easy for me to say, but you know what, sometimes what's best for us is extremely difficult and extremely painful. And you can't understand it. And that's where faith comes in as well. When we, you know, it's so easy for me to get up here, and, but you know what, things happen in life that are very, very difficult to, for us to comprehend and take in or accept. And it's at those times that we really do need to trust that God knows best and that God is going to come alongside us and help us through whatever we go through. But we have to trust that God knows what's best. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it reminds us, 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my, my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And you need to have an eternal perspective if you truly want to understand God's will and purpose. We will never have all the answers to many of life's most challenging questions, but in the end, I would rather trust that one day when we leave this life, those answers will be revealed than to live in the emptiness of a world void of grace and purpose and meaning and justice. You have to take your worldview and follow it to its logical conclusion. You have to do that, or you're not being honest. And you, may, you can throw out all these things about, well, this about God and that about God. If there is no God, you have to follow that worldview to its logical conclusion. And in the end, there is no grace. There is no purpose to life. There is no meaning. And there is no justice in life and afterlife. There is no afterlife. For me, it's much more logical and satisfying to accept that it's just good old-fashioned luck or lack of luck that explains why one person gets sucked up in a tornado while the neighbor does not. One child contracts malaria while his brother is spared. It makes me feel grateful to have what I have. Life happens. We are the ones who apply the meaning, lessons, grief, worry, gratitude, and laughter. And when you sit with people who are going through a terrible tragedy, I promise you, life happens. Or it's just bad luck is not what they want to hear or need to hear, or should they hear? Though you're right, in the end, it's a naturalistic, a naturalistic worldview doesn't have much to offer. I do respect the fact that you're honest. I just don't think you're right. I mean, she is honest. I have to say that. I, I love her for her honesty. And, you know, this is what she believes with all of her heart. It's just pure luck. In my world, though, in my world, if, if someone goes through some tragedy that she lays out or someone else lays out, and, and the answer is basically that uh, life happens, life happens. And um, that's, and Anne-Marie would never just say to someone who's gone through a tragedy, ah, life happens, it's bad luck. I mean, she, she wouldn't do that. But the reality is, even if you don't say those things, at the end of the day, a naturalistic worldview, that's what it has to offer. It has to offer you, that's life. Life happens. You know those bumper stickers? Yep, that's it. There's your worldview. And it's all just luck, good luck and bad luck. Whatever happens is just kind of pure luck. And when you sit with people, life happens or it's just bad luck is not what they want to hear or need to hear. But I told her, I do respect the fact that you're honest. I just don't think you're right. In the end, it's our choice. It's your choice. It really is. In the end, it's your choice, what you want to believe. But we need to be clear. We need to clearly understand the implications of, of what we're choosing. Every single person here, you and I, every one of us here, need to understand the implications of what we're choosing to believe. Because again, you have to follow your worldview, your choice, to its logical conclusion. If it's all luck, there is no purpose in our experiences. There's no purpose. You sit around and say, oh, I learned this. And people will say, well, you can learn things with, without God. At the end of the day here, my friends, if it's all pure luck, there's no purpose or meaning to your experiences. You live, you go through misery, you go through a difficulty, and then you die. End of story. What you conjure up in your own mind is what you conjure up in your own mind. But there's no meaning, there's no true meaning and purpose to your experiences. If it's all pure luck, there's no hope. Stop using the word hope. 
Oh, I have hope that. You have hope that what? That something else won't happen to you? It's all just luck. You get sucked up in a tornado, whatever the case may be. It's all just, there's no hope. If it's all pure luck, listen, if it's all pure luck, we're all in this together alone. If it is all pure luck, we are all in this together alone. There's no intervention. There's no reason, rhyme, nor reason, or purpose behind any of it. Whatever you've gone through in your life, whatever tragedy you've faced, and I get up here on Sunday morning and say, you can use that, God can use that in your life, and you can, when I, all that, all that's gibberish. If there's no God, everything I tell you about what you went through in the past and how to deal with in the past and where it's brought you now and how God can use it in your life and God can do this and God can do that and how you can gibberish, trash, garbage, worth, worthless words because we're all in this together alone. If there is, if there is no God, if there is no, if, if no God and it's all pure luck, Honestly, this whole thing, this whole world, this whole experience is a cruel joke. A cruel joke. If it's just pure luck, there's no future justice. The idea that everything is pure luck is a horrifying, is horrifying to a world of people conscious of everything that is going on around them. To evolve and then to be left alone to suffer makes our existence an inescapable nightmare. I am sorry. Maybe your life is, a, is peachy keen and wonderful and you never had any kind of difficulty in your life. But I'm going to tell you something. Without God, this world, this life is an inescapable nightmare. Without God, the atheist Bertram Russell's summation of life was right. He said that the only sensible posture of life was one of unyielding despair and that any attitude other than despair was merely a seduction of the mind. A seduction of the mind. You have to go into your own little bubble world and your own little mind to create your own world because the reality, if there is no God, this is a nightmare. There's no purpose, there's no meaning, there's nothing, there's no future justice, there's nothing. And he said that the only, the only attitude other than despair that you come up with is a seduction of the mind. I may not have all the answers, I may not have all the complete answers to why things happen, but my worldview assures me that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who have been called according to his purpose. My worldview assures me of that. I can be confident that he will never leave me or forsake me, that my God will never leave me or forsake me. And because of that, I can, I can have hope in this life and you and I can have hope in this life and the next. It's your choice. It does all boil down to faith. On both sides, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, it comes down to faith. But you have to follow your worldview to its logical conclusion and then live out that worldview. The question is, can you do that? Apart from God, leaving God out of the equation, can you live out that worldview? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this incredible day you've given to us, and thank you for the opportunity you give us to, to come together and to look at your word, to understand who you are. We just pray, dear God, that you would move in each of our lives, that each of us would look at this with our whole hearts, and that we would come to the understanding of who you are and what you do and what you mean and how you intervene in each of our lives, that we would see it clearly for what it is, and that would build our faith and we will grow in our relationship with you and be able to reach out to others who are hurting as well. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great week.